Warning, you are about to enter a world populated by the most appalling music ever made. Welcome to the search for the worst album of all time. This is Broken Records. But I hadn't been forgotten, I'd do. I've been married a long time ago. A girl with kaleidoscope eyes. You're beautiful. Hello and welcome to Broken Records. This is episode number 22. My name is Stephen Hill. I'm joined by Renfrey Deadman. Hello. Uh, who did some sort of hip-hop move then, didn't you, <laughs> I introduced you? I, I'm just trying to give myself some more energy. Uh, yes, uh, mm. I'm, but I'm super... Well, I'm not super excited about this at all. It's went, a biscuit, isn't it? You went, you went full Fred Durst then. You just went for a bit of like Fred Durst... <laughs> Um, shake cultural appropriation. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this this is a show where we try and find the worst album ever made in history. We have a list of albums, which is over 150 albums long. It is not our own personal choices because, spoiler alert, if it was, Limp Biscuit probably wouldn't be on there for me and it probably would be on there for Renfrey. So we don't have a general critical consensus at this point uh, about Limp Biscuit, I don't think. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, good. I'm glad that's sorted out. <laughs> that's sorted out, hasn't it? <laughs> I, th- I think the thing is, is like, if it had been up to me, I wouldn't have wanted to listen to a Limp Biscuit record. So I'm not sure if I would have put it on there, but more for that, unfortunately. Reasons. Yeah, that is the entire point of, of this entire show. That's true. The very worst album. So, you know. Um, so uh, this podcast was born from the uh, the uh, it's like a phoenix from Riot Act, which is our weekly alternative review show, reviewing the best in alternative music, which you can listen to every Friday. We actually first recorded this chat you're about to hear and released it on the seventh of August in 2020. Episode 105 of Riot Act, if you'd like to go and listen to it. It's actually a very good week that week. We reviewed new music from Jay Jail and Fall of Troy and Orbit Culture. And we talked about Biffy Clyro getting uh, announced for download, which was just a few other things that happened that week. I'm not quite sure why you skipped over the Alanis Morissette album that we reviewed that week, but fine. Wasn't wasn't that good, was it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that would be why. Yeah, that would be why. We do Uh, both love Alanis Morissette though we, we love Alanis Morissette although we... future future uh, I was going to say future guests on Broken Records future uh, entry into Broken Records unfortunately yeah, Alanis, she, she's sorry. going onto the list I'm yeah, afraid yeah. Um, but again not our choice it's not our nope. reasoning it's not our nope. reason you know we, there's more reasons for those artists to be on this list it's not necessarily down to our own personal taste but anyway that will become very clear when you hear this conversation in fact I think so here's me and Renfrey talking about the one and only Limp Biscuit, come on, take us to the Matthews Bridge. As ever, with Broken Records, our search for the worst album ever made. So far, we have a list of about 15 or 16 albums at this point, don't we, Rimfrey? No, 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 it's nearer 20. Oh, is it? We've been doing this for for a while now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have, haven't we? Yeah. Um, I'll read you out the thing at the end. Um, But this week, uh, it's still number one, it's still Uncle Cracker. Uh, double wide Uncle Cracker currently sits at a top um, and it may be joined alongside its <laughs> number two spot Methods of Mayhem it may be joined potentially by another band from the school of new metal 
the biggest one. We're going to take down the daddy, Renfrey. We're going to you're going to kill the queen, cut off the head of the serpent. Limp Biscuit. results may vary. Uh, released on the 23rd of September 2003, it is the fifth album from... Is it the fifth album? I no, thought it was the fourth. fourth album. Yeah. yeah, sorry, no one said fifth. The fourth album from Fred Durst and his rap metal megastars. So, Limp Biscuit. I'd like to say... I've just heard, I've now heard every single Limp Bizkit album apart from Gold Cobra because of this stupid feature. So right. I'm, so you think about that. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Renfrey. I love Limp Bizkit. I saw Limp Bizkit supporting Corn at Brixton Academy in 1998 before they had an album out and they were great. I bought $3 bill, y'all, the day it came out and I mm -hmm. fucking loved it. I saw them supporting Soulfly at Astoria. Fred Durst threw a... Uh, a fan, not someone in the crowd, an actual fan through a fan in the crowd. And I bloody loved it. And they covered House of Pain's Jump Around. I had a lovely time. I bought a significant other the day it came out. And I loved it. I loved Limp Biscuit, But then I got into sort of hardcore in between significant other and chocolate starfish. Got into some more extreme stuff. Started to find Fred Durst quite annoying. Pretty fucking annoying, to be honest. To the point that I did not buy Chocolate Starfish immediately when it first came out because everything seemed a little childish, a little simplistic for me, which I still would say is true now. But I mean... Oh, come on. I, an, an album called Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water. There's nothing childish about that. Come on. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously it is, but I kind of love the fact that it is. Um, yeah. Fred, Fred Durst was everywhere. He did that MTV thing with Christian yeah. Aguilera, which Filters Richard Patrick said was embarrassing to us all. Um, that's coming from Richard Patrick. That's coming from Richard Patrick. <laughs> uh, you know, I was obviously very much in the minority by not buying Chocolate Starfish straight away because as we know, it was a fucking mahoosive hit. It actually became the fastest selling rock record in seven years since Pearl Jam's Versus when it sold 400,000 copies on the first day of release and over 1 million copies in the first week of release. That is mental. That is mad. Yeah, that is fucking mad. Yeah. And and uh, and proof that um, the critics really don't have a any kind of uh, say in whether albums sell well or not. Because I, I recall Chocolate Starfish being very received very lukewarmly indeed mm. not badly mm. per se but but it was i remember koran gave it three k's and we're just like yeah eh. you know so yeah so go on then renfrey tell us about your um little journey with limp biscuit when did you first hear the band and what did you think and wh where are we now before we get into the album um i bought significant other at the age of 14 i want to say oh, 14 you must have loved it you would have thought, wouldn't you? I mean, I I don't know if I'm just old before my time. I don't <laughs> I don't know what it. I mean, I guess there's there's a lot of uh, significant other is a rock record sequence like a hip hop record. I think that's fair to say. Uh, yeah, we have um, we've discussed sort of my aversion to a lot of hip hop in the past, although uh, you've opened my eyes to a lot of it. But certainly, you know, nothing on Significant Other am I vaguely interested in at all in terms of that sort of hip hop stuff. Kind of starts very, very rocky from what I recall. It's a long time since I heard Significant Other. But I remember it's starting very rocky and getting more kind of method manny and hip hoppy as it went on. Uh, you got stuff like End Together now and stuff like that. If I recall, it's a yeah. it's a long time since I've heard. 
about it so this is all like memory but um yes i bought but i purchased it because um i'd heard loads of people going on about it and i believe it was 10.99 in virgin so i was like oh i'll give that i'll which at the time as we've discussed very 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 cheap uh i was like i'll give that a pop and i went to the trouble of taking it back after about a week and i listened to it wow sometimes twice a day in that week because i was trying to figure out why everyone was going mad for it and i didn't really get it uh i liked nookie um i quite like the song the other songs you like on there break stuff Mm. um you're not like it's ain't no joke so you should get a pen and write yourself a little note so you don't forget again that when it comes to cash have something else sticking up my money now i'm broke somebody got it that's a great song i mean i mean you're not recalling it for me personally it is don't don't feel downhearted though it is a very long time since i've heard this record fuck me is it really 62 minutes and 39 seconds significant other probably they really need to do more judicious editing don't they um (laughs) did i like anything else off of this album the one with scott wayland in 1999 nobody like oh 1990 yeah sorry no that's not got whatever the one with scott wayland nobody like you it's got jonathan davis and scott wayland song yeah i actually think significant other is better than chocolate starfish although i still think i still think three dollar bill you is the best limp biscuit record it's a heavy one isn't it it's yeah i mean three dollar bill you is by far my favorite but even that like have limp biscuit ever released a record of just like wall-to-wall bangers no they haven't they're not they're not really that kind of band they're a singles band aren't they yeah, I mean, I think people would probably are screaming about Chocolate Starfish in your, at you right now because every song on that, pretty much, like you've already said, every song on that is a, has become a massive club-filled banger. There's at least nine fucking songs on that record that you would recognise even though you don't want to. Do you know what I mean? So. I think there's five. Hot Dog, My Generation, My Way, Roll In and Take a Look Around. No, there's more than that. Uh, let me get it up here. <laughs> Hot dog, my generation, full Nelson, my way, rolling, living it up. Uh, get your groove on. Yeah, yeah, yeah you do. Uh, living <laughs> it up in the fast lane. Um, take a look around. Oh, Boi- right, yeah. Boiler. And then you've got rolling urban assault vehicle, which is a big one. So that's basically what's 80% the di- of the What's album. the fucking difference between urban assault vehicle and air raid vehicle? It's a remix, rolling. isn't it? It's got DMX and Method Man and Red Man on it. That that Sorry. fucking album's seventy four minutes and fifty five seconds. That show some fucking restraint. I mean, I, that's a fucking stupid thing to say to Limp Bizkit, admittedly. But fucking hell, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. so you don't like Limp Bizkit then? Is what you're saying? No, I don't. I don't really like Limp Bizkit. Um, having said that, um, the reason I don't like Limp Bizkit is because they do a thing which doesn't interest me in the slightest. Um, I have to confess that um there is i've i have actually very much uh thawed on my hatred of limbiscuit i mean i don't have i ever hated limbiscuit i don't think i've ever hated limbiscuit to be honest mm. i've just always been very kind of like yeah. meh you don't, you don't sound like someone who hates them <laughs> <laughs> I've just been very kind of like, I don't really get it when everyone, I mean, you know, 
when when Fred Durst is having a pop at Trent Reznor, when you know, I, I didn't like that. For example, when when someone as talentless and let's face it, Fred Durst is pretty fucking talentless, uh, as Fred Durst is having a pop at one of the greatest artists probably ever to be involved in modern music. It is very kind of like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, you know, and I think I really, really disliked that sort of attitude. You know, I've never really been into that kind of big fronting kind of thing. And there's a lot of that with Limp Bizkit. Um, I have thought, though, because um, admittedly, uh, I did see them live at Sonosphere. 2011. The, yeah deftones played after them as well and i was yeah. i was just sort of right at the back just getting some food and i was watching it and i was watching it and going well i have to admit that thing that they do i.e the massive kind of bouncy new metal sing-along chorus thing they do do it undeniably very very well and when you get a whole set like a, a 50 minute greatest hits limp biscuit set and you see the place go off it is very very difficult to deny that they are extraordinarily good at doing that thing i don't like it but they're very good at doing it uh and i also recall and we've definitely talked about this before but um when they uh played with um corn at wembley arena uh mm-hmm. which i think we were both at they mm-hmm. blew corn off the stage like they were they were well they were definitely better than corn were that yeah. night they were very uh, very good i have mixed feelings about that because basically that was a load of people who again haven't bought a cd since 2002 turning up and corn having the temerity to kind of have a career and make records and play those records in front of people no it's uh, true but but that's not limp biscuits fault is it that's just no, no, that's just the reaction to them but but yeah. you know i think no, object- i think fault. i think objectively that night i do recall because i had to review it for the independent and i was sort of sitting there going oh god i'm gonna have to write nice things about limp biscuit which i did do you know i i I gave them a very good review because i thought objectively they were really really good that night but um i just they just do something that i don't like isn't it yeah well i did like them but by this point i had sort of got a bit bored but i just wasn't listening to that sort of thing anymore i think we discussed it new metal got crap but I did like Wes Borland. So when Wes Borland, yes, who I who I continued to love, brought out Big Dumbface, uh, the Big Dumbface album, Duke Lion Fights a Terror in 2001, I was kind of intrigued by the fact that it was going to be compared to Mr. Bungle and Ween. And the reviews were so negative, so negative, um, that I was just, I, I, I had to buy it. So I bought it. And I love that too. I thought, what a great record. This is a really hilarious thing. I don't know if anyone is aware of that record. I think it's really like really weird really funny in places and it's actually got some really good songs on it it's fred insane, durst that record yeah, yeah. It's bonkers. fred durst did not like that album it came out in march 2001 he doesn't like creativity does he well fred <laughs> i don't know um but march 2001 that that album came out by october where's Borland pissed off at the kind of endless attention and the kind of audiences that Limp Biscuit had cultivated had left the band. Um, it was only months after the band experienced the death of a fan at the 2001 Big Day Out Festival in Australia as well. So by late 2001, having had their most creative member leave the band and experienced this um, really genuinely tragic thing, uh, whilst all the time becoming 
more and more omnipresent. I mean, you could not pick up a copy of Kerrang! or actually even NME or Melody Maker and not find a picture of Fred Durst in it somewhere for about two years. Well, this is where the hatred thing came in, isn't it? Because if you really didn't like this band, like I didn't at the time, it's the sort of Coldplay effects that we talked about in the past. You know, people yeah. constantly go on about how Coldplay are the worst band in the world and they're nowhere near the worst band in the world. It's just they're omnipresent and you can't mm. escape them. Yeah. Uh, Ross Robinson was asked why he thought Wes Borland left Limp Biscuit, and he said that Wes Borland doesn't sell out for money. <laughs> or he didn't. Or he, or he didn't then. Um, Limp Biscuit decided to start search for a new guitar player and um, made a competition, which I remember called "Put Your Guitar Where Your Mouth Is" mm. to find their new man. They ended up um, hiring former Snot guitarist Mike Smith. Um, it's not a band that filed better than Limp Bizkit ever were. In fact, I would predict and did pre- did predict and have predicted for a long time that were it not for the death of Snot frontman Lynn Strait, Snot would have been or could have been the band that went into the mainstream rather than Limp Bizkit. There's a shout for that. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they went onto the Summer Sanitarium tour with Metallica and Linkin Park um brought out a big toilet on stage as far as i recall was that limbus that was the Ozfest. uh they brought out a big oh, um my bad. ghetto blaster at, at this point um okay. it was the toilet at the Ozfest 99 um it was the uh and then they brought out the big spaceship um in 1998 i think was the big spaceship um the toilet was 99 and this was like a big ghetto blaster thing um but then they they actually got booed and off stage a few times when they were supporting Metallica. Uh, that was how people felt about Limp Bizkit around that time. And because, then because the of initials, their om- because of their omnipresence, I think. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, and the initial sessions with Smith, which sort of turned into the majority of this album, um, were first of all kind of panned and they were uh, put on the shelf. Um, they fell out with Smith. And Durst said that he wasn't where they needed him to be. Um, he toured with the band um, between 2002 into the kind of early part of 2004 before they binned him off completely. But there was a little period where Durst was thinking that he might front the band and play guitar as well. You know, like Kurt Cobain <laughs> or, with, or Wes Scantlin, more really realistically. Um, I, I can't even... I mean, look, I'm sure there are pictures out there. I can't even picture Fred Durst holding a guitar. Do you think he knows like the right way to hold it up? Like, <laughs> I mean, know. I just can't. I can't even picture. I'm sure. I'm sure he can play a few chords, but I mean, who knows? Maybe he's a fucking. Maybe he can play eruption on acoustic. Who knows? But uh, I don't know. Just, just uh, the idea of Fred Durst holding a guitar in my. I that doesn't compute for me at mm. all. So they went. <laughs> they went to finish the album. Uh, trying to record more songs, got everyone from Al Jorgensen to Rivers Cuomo in to help, ended up scrapping a bunch of stuff. Um, in 2002, Fred Durst put Wes Borland's email address on the internet and told fans to email him and tell him to come back into the band. Borland has said that 75% of the emails he received were telling him not to come back. <laughs> Cheers. What um, an incredibly mature thing to do. And this yes. is like a fucking like Fred Durst was a fucking label executive at Interscope Records, you know. I know. Like, it, like I, I just can't. I can't. I don't believe in celebrating the pomposity and idiocy of a fucking idiot. I think that's my issue with Limp Bizkit. 
Is that your motto? You're gonna have that on your sort of crest. Fuck dead, yeah! Dead, I mean, Deadman family crest. Predominantly, <laughs> predominantly, yeah. I mean, th- there's there's an awful lot of kind of there was an awful lot of apologising for liking Limbiscuit for a long time in kind of like the twenty sort of, sort of the early part of this decade. You're getting well Wasn't ahead there? of yourself here. All right, we're gonna go come. On. We're gonna come back to this. Go on. We're gonna yeah. come back to this exact thing right. um, because. It is relevant, obviously, yeah. what you're yeah. saying is relevant. Yeah. Okay, all right. um, I'll save it. But anyway, uh, so after all that, with um, with new metal starting to flop, with Killswitch Engage, Lamb of God, The Strokes, The Hives, Funeral for a Friend, 100 Reasons, Lost Profits, My Chemical Romance, Waiting in the Wings as well, um, 2003 needed a big Limp Biscuit comeback. Um, an album that would give a shot in the arm to new metal and return it to its former glory. In its first week, it sold 325,000 copies. And went to number three in the US, which is not a commercial disaster, not to be all. fair. Not it actually sold a million copies within three months of its release. But the critics, um, it got two out of five in the NME who said, the fact of the matter is Limp Biscuit just doesn't matter anymore. Fred Durst's not stupid. He knows rap metal's finished and he's trying to move on. But this may not be the best direction to move in. If he's happy churning this stuff out and he promises at least another three, then, in all seriousness, good <laughs> luck to him, but we've suffered enough. Alt Press gave it zero out of five and said, forgettable to anyone with a soul. Uh, <laughs> the Guardian gave it two out of five and said, at least Limp Biscuit can't be accused of festering in the rap rock ghetto. Durst's moody aggression adapts to gothic gloom, Bon Jovian bubble rock, and old school funk, but Durst's problems are ever present, and does anybody still care? Dot Music gave it one out of ten and called it a frightening insight into the vacuous state of 21st century celebrity culture. All Music gave it a score of three out of ten and said, since the melody has no hooks, uh, since the music has no melody, hooks or energy, all the attention is focused on the clown jumping up and down and screaming in front. And long before the record is over, you're left wondering, how the hell did he ever get to put this mess out? Um, There were some quite ho-hum bottle job reviews from the likes of rolling stone you know the kind of three out of fives um that big artists have to get yeah. uh q-, q-, q gave it four i know out of five q what um <laughs> yeah, i know Bonkers. which is mental but um but what do we think about it renfrey um i'm gonna start just by saying this is a rubbish i like limp biscuit this album's rubbish the moment eat you alive comes in and fucking ruins the rift of phaser by quicksand <laughs> yes it, it, like people go, oh no it's got one really good riff on it yeah that riff is phaser by quicksand yeah it yeah, is yeah. shamelessly stolen uh mm. but just with fred does going i'll eat you alive over the top of it mm. um a really watered down version of, of, of that and it feels like a what straight away feels like a really watered down version of limp biscuit and it just immediately shows how important wes borland is to that band i think and eat you alive is probably one of the best songs on the album <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it says a lot about it, doesn't it? Um I was quite um I was really sort of uh I mean it starts with one of those fucking annoying skit things that they seem to fucking love uh on uh at the beginning of free entry. Um quick question, what is the difference what makes this skit good and the intro from Uncle Cracker bad, Steve, out of interest? What make? What? Why am I have to say this? Why have I been given the this is good? Ah, like, 
Well, I was hoping you'd say, because it's not good and they're equally as bad because there's no fucking merit in any of these skits whatsoever. No. I mean, there's there's no. there's barely any of them, thank fuck, compared to... I remember Significant Other having fucking loads of them. Yeah, um, fair few, yeah. But, you know, waste of fucking time. Bollocks. Um, but when the song proper re-entry came in and it had all these kind of like woozy, weirdy, wibbly, wobbly effects, I have to say... I was like, oh, I was not expecting this at all. Uh, you know, and it's nice to be surprised by an artist. Uh, and I was kind of like, oh, okay. At least, I don't think this is great, but at least it's vaguely interesting. I mean, Fred Durst is just doing his normal clowning around over the top of it. But, you know, it sounded vaguely interesting. But I think the thing is, I think, I mean, this was much touted as the kind of Britney Spears breakup album, wasn't it? And it was this weird, yeah. weird scenario, a little bit like the Moby Natalie Portman situation <laughs> where Fred Durst is like, me and Britney Spears had a relationship and she broke my heart. And Britney Spears is like, no, we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Which sort of, I mean, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, I would imagine, as it so often is with these kind of things. Um, but uh, there's an awful lot of, I mean, if you recall, emo was beginning to build up at this time. And of course, Fred Durst is a label executive and he is, whilst I don't think he's a particularly creative or astute individual, he is probably astute enough to have his finger on the pulse of what was going on with modern popular music at the time because he worked at fucking Interscope Records for fuck's sake. Um, and um, I think this is just an incredibly cynical, uh, pathetic attempt to try to ride some sort of emo coattail wave thing but because Limp Bizkit as a band are completely and utterly incapable of being emo in any way shape or form you just end up with a sort of wishy-washy 68 minute mess I don't think it's that actually I mean I think obviously Fred Durst signed Stained and Puddle of Mud and I think that's more where you look at the success of Creed and Nickelback around that time who weren't new metal so and were doing massive business in America. And so they kind of got away with it. I'm not sure Fred Durst knew much about emo personally. Maybe um, not. Uh, I, maybe, I, think, I think I'm talking more lyrically than anything else. I mean, Stained yeah. is something I wrote down a lot. He, yeah. you know, I, I, I mean, know he signed Stained and he's clearly aping Stained a lot on this record. Yeah, um, I mean, they, they try and write some more mature and serious songs. Mm. I mean, you get Head from Corn just before you found God um, playing guitar on Build a Bridge and it's wet and oh, it's shit awful. and it sounds like Stained and it's terrible. I mean, <laughs> weirdly get old Snop Duke turns up again, doesn't he? Yeah, old Snop Duke. Duke picking up the old check for every mm. fucking new metal band who wants to work with him on a song called Red Light, Green Light, which is definitely not as good as the Wild Art song of the same name. Um, <laughs> and Fred Durst just goes, freak baby, freak, freak baby at the start. Um, and it's actually one of the songs that I like the most because it's just a stupid, silly, cartoony, OTT, hip hop, pop song. And I can kind of handle Limp Biscuit doing that. I can handle Snop hanging it up massively. I mean, he sounds like Frank Spencer when he goes, red light, green light. Oh, he does a proper like camp Frank Spencer performance. But I think it's the, just the boring dross. that They just, like your Limp Biscuit, like underneath the gun or down another day. I mean, yeah. are, they, are they, are they terrible, terrible 
com- compositions and you know are they all like not particularly they're just unbelievably boring nothing happens and they are fronted by somebody who just does not have the voice or the talent or the charisma to carry them i mean exactly. i'd rather they went for shit like eat you alive or phenomenon or head for the barricade i mean at least they were kind of quite good like you mentioned earlier were quite good at doing that as uncool as that was at the yeah. time both of those songs are shitter versions um all three of those songs are shitter versions and the stuff that they'd already put out uh, but they're still probably better than anything on the methods of mayhem album like yes if we're, if we're if if we're like drawing the shitty line no no the... i i i would i would say eat you alive over anything on that um mm. methods of mayhem album probably because it reminds me of quicksand who i fucking love but yeah, yeah. but but no i would i would take quicksand eat you alive butchered. um and i just think you know like just if when they do that the odd bit that they do that i mean it's one hour and ten minutes long like of of them being boring as well of them mm. being like oh god and like this kind of stained fucking um puddle of mud grungy like bore just boring but stodgy boring bloated and then you get to behind blue eyes mm. which if you've seen the video you've got Halle Berry who's getting paid to look at Fred Durst as if she fancies him I mean man <laughs> she's sure earned that Oscar um, <laughs> she's an incredible actress on, it's the obviously the Who song from their classic 1971 Who's Next album probably the best Who album I I, I cannot fathom what you're doing here lads no, what the fuck what are you thinking what awful. were you thinking what were you thinking it's really stunning as well that there were um, two singles released from this album. I mean, one of them was a double A side, so I suppose we could see B3 if we're being kind, but I don't want to be kind to Limp Bizkit, frankly. Uh, so two singles. And one of them was that awful, awful cover. I mean, it does go to show just what a fucking waste of time this record is. Um, certainly everything you've just said there, I completely agree with. This is really um, a band stretching far beyond their very limited limitations and trying to do something different. Uh, I think the emo thing that I said, um, maybe, I think maybe you're probably more, yeah, maybe you're more accurate along the stained puddle of mud lines, but it's when those bands are being at their most emo. It's the, um, uh, what's that fucking stained song? It's been a while. It's been a while. Exactly. <laughs> absolutely i mean it was like it's Aaron, like he's in the room it's like he's in the room um mm-hmm. you know and uh uh it's that sense of um emotional connection that i mean so yes actually now that you've said that i think that's a better way to put it but it is it is it is fred durst going oh woe is me isn't it um yeah. and he does not have the capabilities to make us give a flying fuck uh about anything that he's saying mm. um why the fuck i i just i just don't care and it's so kind of like it it is that hangover from new metal of kind of like where is me my parents never liked me i'm being locked in my bedroom kind of thing blah 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 and they're but just not capable of doing it they're just not capable of doing it the, the the very very tenuous brief case for the defense is here Uh-oh. i'm going to give you right now right now surely no no one needs a shit right and for some reason 
Limp Biscuit on this album, without their most creative mind to help them, have descended into really dull post-grunge bullshit. All the ludicrous, cartoony stuff that people loved about them in the first place getting replaced by these plodding, dreary songs. Why would they do that? Um, well, had they made another Chocolate Starfish, I'm not sure that would have worked either. No. I mean, could I mean, it's basically a case of time's up, lads. Exactly. Whatever, what are you going to do? Do you think there's anything that they could have done that wouldn't have resulted in this? Because I don't think there is. If it's a case of this music is old and it's shit and it's it's not cool anymore, fuck new metal. Oh, look, they've gone and made, look at these idiots. They've gone and made another massive, bouncy new metal album. That ain't going to work, you dumb asses. But what they actually did was go, okay, well, that's sort of not really the thing anymore. We look at Nickelback or whatever. And that's kind of, well, okay, well, we'll, we'll go in that direction and we're going to do a more introspective, moody, serious, like, rock album. Like, it's not the worst idea in the world. It's just that they couldn't do it. I don't think Limp Bizkit could have done anything else because Limp Bizkit are a band who are capable of doing one thing and one thing only, realistically, which is why they are not one of the absolute greats. They may do that thing very, very well. And actually, you know, as I've said earlier on in this, I've kind of thawed on this a little bit and, and have come to admit um that looking at like looking at it through sort of the eyes of a professional critic rather than just someone who doesn't like this sort of thing i have to confess that they do do that break stuff thing well you know um but they showed with this record that they're not really capable of doing anything else at all um i mean it's there's bits on this where you mentioned underneath the gun and down another day where they, it sounds like they're trying to be the cure but such a poor kind of attempt at doing it um and i think this is the thing i mean there was a there was a review that you read out there where it was talking about how it was like a celebration of the worst form of celebrity culture and i completely agree i mean limp biscuit at this fred durst in particular did become kind of like a tabloid name because of all these the, this britney spears association all that bullshit Christina Aguilera. yeah he's in zoolander etc etc and it was just it's just a fucking joke you know it's just some bald idiot in a oh well, sorry there's nothing wrong with being bald of course i'm not an idiot <laughs> <laughs> but well it's more the kind of like hopeless like pathetically trying to hide the fact you're bald by wearing a backwards baseball cap when you're close to your 40s can't believe it you now know. this red cap gets a whack from these critics <laughs> <laughs> well it's because you're like fucking either bill bailey it or or and fucking be like yeah i'm balding and i'm proud or don't bother do you know what i mean we talked about this mm. with counting crows and adam duras who wears a wig by the way um so yeah i mean but but i mean i'm gonna be surprisingly nice at this point within the realms of broken records because um, as I sort of already hinted, I don't think there's nothing on this record that is uh, offensive. I don't think like offen offensively bad, um, like like quite a lot of the records around the middle of our broken records table. It's just boring. It's mm. not it's not like listening to a song like Underneath the Gun or Down Another Day. Despite them being, for, I mean, fucking underneath the gun is five minutes, 42 seconds. What the yeah, fuck? I know, what are you doing? Um, Get out. But 
there's nothing. I don't find them painful to listen to. I just find them boring. Mm. It's just a boring record. Well, it fucked them up pretty badly, really. I mean, they kind of. So the aftermath is Wes actually did come back <laughs> about a year later um, for the actually quite good Unquestionable Truth album in 2005. Now, again, that's had a bit of a kick in that. Um, that actually featured uh, former quicksand drummer Sammy Siegler stepping mm. into the Mas- Matthews Bridge taking shoes of John Otto, which is mental. Um, absolutely mental. But it just goes to show they were kind of at least invested in that, in, in good music. Like Wes Borland likes good music and he's obviously aware of that. But the stock had dropped so far at that point. I mean, new metal was literally the worst possible thing you could be and limp biscuit were the poster children for that sound and it you know and it flopped completely and i mean it made it reached number 26 on the billboard chart although that is due in part to a kind of an underground promotional campaign release thing where fred durst was like we're not going to do any interviews we're not going to tell anyone it's out we're just going to put it out which you couldn't really sort of do in those days um yeah. And again, they tried to kind of reposition Biscuit as a sort of a proper rock band. And I actually think there's some, you know, the unquestionable truth is, is a, is a pretty fucking good, um, like it's an interest. It's certainly an interesting record. It's far more successful than this. Um, well, it's and, only and it half does, an hour for a starters, which is a good right, start. Yes. It um, was going to be part one. Yes. And we're going to have part two. And which blah, blah, blah. never happened. Instead, no. the, their next three releases, I noticed, were all greatest hits collections, which yes, shows they were. what money-making so, scum they are. <laughs> it didn't really work. Um, Wes Borland was asked in kind of mid-2005 um, what his future plans was, and he said, nothing that involves Limp Bizkit. Yeah. So they went on a hiatus, and it seems mad to think. It feels to me like Limp Bizkit were out in the doldrum for like a de- decades and decades and no one fucking cared about them and now thinking about how quickly time moves and stuff seems mad to think it was only another four years later that they were reforming again for that download 2009 mainstage show where they were greeted like gods like it was like bloody led zeppelin coming back um nostalgia is a powerful thing the uh, yeah but it was only four or five years i mean the wind changed really swiftly on that one didn't it but it's but it felt it felt like people had dropped limp biscuit years before then which is why i think it felt like longer than it was i totally agree with you but it felt like i mean i really was not paying any attention i i I have to confess i completely forgot the unquestionable truth part one even existed until you mentioned it and i've just brought it up on wikipedia and been like oh yeah but i completely forgot it even existed because that's how little attention i was paying at this point and i think the majority of people were paying very little attention as well yeah i think kind of 2002 it was done but still only seven years i mean you think like to me the idea that a band would reform but then so much happened between 2002 and 2009 you had metalcore and emo and and like stuff actually happened back then it was like we discussed with the gill thing like nothing really got massive enough to be kicked back down and then brought back again but Mm. i mean it's mad that limp biscuit they haven't put another album out since the very patchy Gold Cobra in 2011. Um, and now they seem happy to revel in that very lucrative nostalgia market uh, alongside the likes of um, System of a Down and Rage Against the Machine. That's right, System of Rage Against the Machine. I am quite accurately comparing you artistically in 2020 to Limp Biscuit. In fact, 
due to the quite excellent ready to go single that Limp Biscuit put out in 2013, I'd actually say that Limp Biscuit are more artistically relevant than both System of a Down and Radiance Machine combined. So to those bands, I would say, sort your fucking lives out. Oh, you're really hurting me, Steve. <laughs> but I understand the point you're making. Yes, I understand mm. what you're saying. Uh, I mean, we've also got this uh, Stampede of the Disco Elephants record, the most preposterously yeah. titled record of all time, which has wow. become a... It's not even the most preposterously, preposterously titled <laughs> record in their back catalogue. <laughs> uh, which has become a bit of a Chinese democracy scenario, mm. really, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, how when when was... When did I first hear the name Stampede of the Disco Elephants? Probably shortly after... Oh, the first single, Light City of Angels, was released on October 26th, 2012 for Stampede of the Disco Elephants. And the album still hasn't come out. That is... that is. We are talking Chinese democracy levels of... Oh, yeah. Well, someone else has got there before me. But the New Zealand Herald dubbed it the Chinese democracy of new metal. I mean, <laughs> easy, easy thing to say. But uh, yeah, apparently Ross Robinson I mean is producing it. It's only been nine years, so we haven't quite got to the same, you know, uh, level yet. But yeah, who knows what's going on with that? But you know, I would quite happily turn up and see Limp Biscuit at a festival every now and then, and go, "Oh, that was nice." Um, when they were doing it, sort of every year, like from two thousand nine to sort of about two thousand fifteen, it felt like they they were at a, a festival every single year doing the same bloody thing. And it was like, I actually kind of want you to release an album now, guys. Otherwise, this is. This what what in two thousand nine was like. Oh my god, they're back! They're playing all the hits. By two thousand fifteen, was like, yeah, 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 yeah. We've seen this. Go on. Fuck Absolutely. Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, as as much as I enjoyed their set at Sonosphere and uh, su supporting Corn, co-headlining with Corn, support really wasn't it? Um, I don't need to see it again anytime no. soon. So. There you go. But anyway, results may vary. You've sort of already said it. There is a little space between, like we always say, there's the Dirty Vegas 1, Enemies, The Streets and the Sky, Mick Jagger's Primitive Call is there now, and Bush's Black and White Rainbows. That is um, a, a part of the list where it's just where sort of boring records go. I think this is definitely better than Theory of a Dead Man. I yes. think it's probably better than Famous First Words. I remember nothing about one by... Dirty no, I, this is the thing. I'm struggling to remember these. Like, I didn't say anything then for Famous First Words because I'm starting to get to the point where I'm like, which one's that again? It's the one with the Famous First cover, Words is, yeah, it's the horrible Britpop one. I think, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think the results may vary is better than that. Yeah. Um, the fact that I can't remember a single fucking thing about Dirty Vegas makes me think that this is, I can at least remember a couple of things about this. Yeah. Um... I would I, posit I, that we put it between Dirty Vegas and The Enemy because I actually think The Enemy album <laughs> is rubbish, but it's not like that. When this is rubbish, it's fucking rubbish and it's really boring. I mean, here's a turn up for the books. I was going to propose we put it between Mick Jagger and The Enemy. So I was going to be one place kinder to it than you, but I'd be very happy to put it between Dirty Vegas and The Enemy. I think there's very little difference. I like Limp Biscuit more than I like The Enemy, so you've charmed me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so 
as it stands right now, I'll give you the full rundown, everyone, because I know people like that. Um, Bob Dylan's self-portrait is the best of these records. Um, and in a descending order, Lou Reed and Metallica, Lulu, until Jamie Jester gets its hands on it, then it'll probably <laughs> drop down a few places. Um, Lou Reed's Metal Machine Music, Liz Fair's self-titled um, album, Lauren Hill's MTV 2.0 Unplugged, D.D. King's Standing in the Spotlight. Great record, how did he get it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Transform Man by William Shatner, Bush's Black and White Rainbows, Mick Jagger's Primitive Call, Results May Vary by Limp Bizkit, The Enemy Streets in the Sky, One by Dirty Vegas, Viva Brothers' Famous First, first Words, Theory of a Dead Man's The Truth Is, Louis XIV's Slick Dogs and Ponies, the Cosmos Rocks by Queen and Paul Rogers. United Nations of Sound by Richard Ashcroft. Eog and Quigg's self-titled debut album. Graveyard Classics Volume 2 by Six Feet Under. Blood, Sweat and Towers by the Towers of London. The self-titled debut album from Methods of Mayhem is number two and still a top of everyone. It is Uncle Cracker with Double Wide. Um, but yeah, there you go. Uh, I need to now pick another hat another another hat out of the album another album out of the hat <laughs> i should say not another hat out of the album that'd be really weird Wait. uh what have we got oh no oh no oh no hmm. oh no what? oh no 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 i can't do this oh god go on the self-titled album by Razorlight. oh for fuck's Hey. I don't want to listen to that. I really, really, really do not want to listen to this. All right. Well, that's the last ever riot act. <laughs> Thanks for being a part. I fucking can't listen to it. Oh, as if we've got to listen to... Well, you know, we put it in there. Absolutely. I hope you enjoy this segment. If you're listening, I really hope you enjoy this segment because fuck me, it's a pain in the ass to do. Um... Anyway, we're going to be back next week talking about Razorlight's self-titled album. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you very soon. You ready, Renfrey? You're going to be the boy with the golden touch next week? <laughs> oh, God. I'm just looking at the album now. It starts with In the Morning, which I fucking hate. Ugh. Oh, it's a fucking in-betweeners. shit. The in-betweeners, the, 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 like, soundtrack just... Oh. Yeah. There you go, Fred Durst and Limp Biscuit. I did that a bit, Gavin Rossdale and Bush. Isn't it? Fred <laughs> yeah. Durst, Limp Biscuit featuring Fred Durst. No, no, no. Uh, Limp Biscuit are on the are on the list, and probably not as high as some people would like them to be, mm. and probably much higher than other people would like them to be. So, mm. as usual, the truth sits sort of somewhere in the middle. I think. Mm. Mm. Um, no, all right, fair enough. No, anyway, no, no, thank no, you very no. much. For yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with it. yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the show. Like I say, go over and find us on Riot Act every Friday, where we review the best new music. We've got a Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast, and you can also head straight over to the next episode of Broken Records, episode twenty-three, where Razor Lights, Razor Light will be. Um, getting slapped about a bit by both Renfrey and I and deservedly so if you, that floats your boat head on over there now and we will see you there knuckle duster in hand <laughs>